Welcome to The Academic Citizen, a podcast about critical issues in higher education. The podcast is sponsored by ASAWU, the Academic Staff Association of Wits University, based in Johannesburg, South Africa. Our podcast aims to explore, debate, and understand a wide variety of issues about university life relevant to staff and students. We look at issues in South Africa, Africa, and beyond. In each episode, we speak to a guest who has special insight or expertise in a particular subject, and we also bring in student voices linked to that theme. My name is Mahita Ikani, and I'm your host. Before we start today's show, we need to clarify two points from episode 24, in which we interviewed the incoming WITS SRC president, Kefense Mkari. In that discussion, Mr. Mkari made two allegations, which we've checked out and on which we need to set the facts straight. The first statement was that the academic calendar for 2016 had been contracted in some way, so as to disadvantage students. We checked the 2016 academic calendar against the 2015 academic calendar to check this, and found that it had not actually been contracted as he alleged, and that the 2016 calendar is pretty much the same as the 2015 academic calendar. The second allegation that Mr. Mkari made was that WIT's Vice-Chancellor Adam Habib owned 35% of the auditing company employed to run the controversial WIT's poll, which took place last week. We contacted Professor Habib for comment, and he categorically denies any ownership in the company. He says that anyone who wishes to may investigate that. And further, he states that he is astonished that someone in a leadership position could lie so openly in a public domain. Uh, my name is Rapetua Tiseto, and then I'm studying BA, uh, second year. I just know that uh, students have been protesting there and burning down properties and the like, and then there's been so much brutality from the police and security. That's a very legitimate demand uh, for free education. It is in our constitution that uh, we should we have a right to to education. So exorbitant fee increase uh, prevents or inhibits some of the students from getting uh, education, and and that also creates or widens the gap that already exists between the rich and the poor. Because uh, particularly from a black students' perspective, we have to start from the ground. Like we don't have anything to to inherit from our parents, we have to work bottom, from the bottom uh, going up, right? So increasing fees is like a form of exclusion. The commodification of education is totally unacceptable, and I therefore support the, uh, the legitimate demand for free education at UKZN. It makes me feel bad, especially uh, since that we are living in a democratic society. I feel like our democratic rights have been violated, and that is totally unacceptable. Like our government should intervene and make it a point that uh, everyone is free to express their views in a correct way, of course. The brutality of students is totally uncalled for. Moving on to this week's episode, we hear from colleagues at the University of KwaZulu-Natal, whose five campuses have been rocked with a variety of student protests and staff responses in the past weeks. Our guest to share with us the current state of things at UKZN is Dr. Lubna Nadvi. Dr. Nadvi is a lecturer in political science and international relations, and her research interests include Middle East politics, comparative politics, politics of Islam and South Asia, 
African and South African politics, as well as social movements, civil society, and gender and women's studies. Dr. Nadvi is speaking to us as an academic citizen in her own right and does not represent any particular grouping from UKZN or any of the management structures there. Right, a very warm welcome to our guest for today's episode, Dr. Lubna Nadvi, who is joining us from the University of KwaZulu-Natal. Thank you so much for your time and for joining us. Good day. Thank you so much for having me. Perhaps we could start our conversation today by asking you to give us some insight into what's going on currently at the UKZN campuses and what the general climate is like from the perspective of academic staff. The University of KwaZulu-Natal has five campuses, and so the dynamics are different at each of the campuses. According to the university officials, the academic program is continuing on all campuses. Uh, There might be isolated incidences of some protest action, particularly on the Maritzburg campus. And so the university authorities and management communicate to staff and students through the university email system to inform them of whether there are any protest actions happening on any of the campuses. But according to the university authorities, the academic program is continuing. There are no disruptions and the university is not in any kind of shutdown mode. So everything is proceeding as normal. There has been quite a bit of activity on the Maritzburg campus. There are security personnel, both private security and the SAPs that have been deployed to all uh, five campuses. So as soon as any activity is noticed in terms of protest action, these private security move in to try and stop any further activity. The university also has a legal interdict in place that is meant to prevent any kind of protest action. But it depends on whether the student body is organizing itself to, to have an event or some protest action at any given time. For the moment, I'm based at Howard College campus and things are proceeding as normal on this campus at this point. So everyone's in class and the academic project is continuing as normal. That's right. I mean, basically, the university put out a notice to say that the academic program is continuing for all five campuses. And again, it manages the situation based on whether there is a sudden protest activity that springs up. But it has deployed private security and police to all campuses, and their task is to ensure that the academic program continues. But I did, as I just said, uh, on the Peter Nightsburg campus, there was quite a bit of protest activity. Some students were arrested. Uh, that legal process is continuing. I believe that, uh, you know, they have not been released as yet. So we are waiting for further updates on what is happening with the students at the Madsburg campus, where the, the, the action has actually been the most uh, intense with regards to protest activity. And, and what are the grievances of students who have been participating in protest action over the last couple of weeks? Well, the students... Uh, across the five campuses, obviously, they're uh, linking into the national protest movement, the Fees Must Fall uh, movement. And of course, 
the University of KwaZulu-Natal students are, you know, are part of that process. But the UKZN and SRC had also submitted a separate memorandum or list of demands to the UKZN Management and Council, uh, which listed uh, demands specific to UKZN. So I would say that there are two levels of uh, protest activity going on. One that links into the broader debates around free higher education uh, and what is happening nationally. And the second is around the UKZN SRC in trying to engage the UKZN management on specific issues which related just to uh, UKZN. In terms of the demands, you know, they're quite varied. Some relate to issues around residences. Some relate to participation in decision-making processes at the university. For example, there was a request by the SRC to be represented on some executive management committee at the university. And so there are those kinds of demands that are specific to the university and not necessarily directly related to the Feed Must Fall campaign. Could you elaborate for us a little bit more about the specific challenges or experiences that are unique to UKZN at the moment? Because we've seen that there are a number of shared issues that students are campaigning on across the country. But at the same time, we also see on each campus there are you know specific grievances or specific politics that play out. So could you give us a little more insight into the special context of of UKZN and what some of the issues are that you've touched on about governance and about representation, for example, that students feel really strongly about? The dynamics on each campus are different. And so where there are residence issues, students are speaking to, for example, upgrading of certain residences or provision of extra sort of... um, accommodation facilities, those kinds of things, which are site-specific. The issue of representation, the students want to be involved. And of course, if you have five campuses, then it's, it's quite tough. But the students want to be involved in some kind of executive level of uh, decision-making. And there hasn't been any resolution to that matter. So in terms of what students are wanting, you know, these are also relating to, for example, some of the programs. There's some broader discussions around curriculum issues and so on. So, you know, if I had the list of uh, demands in front of me, I could list them specifically. But really, they're relating to a variety of site-specific issues. In terms of them linking up to the national issue, I mean, the demands of the UKZN student body is, of course, as is the case for students across the country, a demand for free tertiary education. Uh, It started off, as we all know, with the demand for a no-fee increase for next year. But, of course, now everyone is on the same page asking for free education. The other dynamic also is that there are divisions within the student body. So some students may argue that actually the SRC, the elected SRC for each campus, doesn't actually represent uh, them. So there are sectors of the student body that may argue that the SRC is not representing them or their views. Even within perhaps the elected SRC officials, there might be differences of opinion, but they attempt to try and have a unified position because there's five campuses, five chairs of the SRC for each campus, and then you have one central SRC president, and then all of these diverse views have to be managed. 
this is where we are currently with regards to uh, what the student body, uh, you know, is saying or, or thinking. Sounds like a very challenging situation with five SRC chairs all having to work together to come to some kind of common ground. The public in South Africa and, and people living outside of KZN might have been quite struck by some of the images that we saw in the last couple of weeks of some quite violent incidents on campuses. We saw images of a law library getting burnt down, a residence being set on fire, more recently feces being thrown into computer labs. Is this all just kind of sensationalistic media coverage? What is the experience like on the ground for those who are on campus, staff and students who are kind of working through the problems in their own ways? Was that a fair representation of of what happened? What are your perspectives on those incidents? Well, basically, a few weeks ago, the current stage of violence started with um, the burning of the cafeteria here at Howard College campus, and that really, you know, shocked all of us. There were several sort of ideas going around about who might have actually been behind that arson attack. And of course, within the university community at Howard College, uh, there's some speculation that it might not have been the student body uh, or any student at all, that it might have been an external element that torched the cafeteria, because the students here actually support that cafeteria. They go and buy from there. So if there was any accusation of the cafeteria being run or managed by a white owner or something like that, I mean, some of those discussions they're doing around, so that on the ground doesn't hold true because it is actually supported by a diversity of students and staff from all backgrounds. Then there was the incident of the law library and effectively, well, to our relief, you know, although it was quite a devastating thing, it was a section of the library that was burnt. Uh, you know, we then later confirmed that the other sections of the library had not been as badly affected. But of course, the damage that was done to a corner section of that library is, is quite serious. And then, of course, there were residences that were being set alight and even more concerning because, of course, there are students who are living there. At the cafeteria, there wasn't anyone physically present. At the time, the law library didn't you know, have anyone there at the time. But in the residences, while people are still there, one of the residences was where large numbers of you know, disabled students also lived. So these were some of the issues that, you know, we've gone through and we're trying to understand, you know, what's behind it. At the Peter Lansford campus, just this last few days, a residence entrance was torched. Uh, You know, this was seen as something that uh, is being celebrated almost by students from other parts of the country saying that, well, this is something that needs to continue. And of course, the local student body here at UKZN is is very concerned because what's happening is that you have, as I said, divisions within the student body. So one group is saying, well, we need to actually continue the burnings of university property because that's the only way that we'll get listened to. And then there are other students who are have, you know, um, completely distanced themselves from the actual issue of burnings and arson. I should also state that the SRC of UKZN has officially distanced itself from the tragedy of burning. They've said very clearly that we do not support burning or the damaging or, you know, vandalism of any university property. So 
whoever is actually carrying out these acts is quite intent on using this approach to achieve whatever objectives they want to. And again, within the student body, because of the divisions, there are those that want to stay out of things completely. And then there are those students who will go in and actually force others to join them, saying, well, if you are, for example, going to a classroom or if you are spotted doing any kind of studying, well, there will be consequences. So we're seeing, you know, sort of those kinds of intimidation tactics there. There is, however, an alternative space that has emerged on the Mazda campus where people are now gravitating towards a kind of collective which is supportive, which is trying to create a community of sorts, which is bringing together the core group of students that are fighting for the issue of free education. And by that, I mean that basically students and staff and even community members coming together. There was a prayer meeting that was just held in the last few days on the Madsburg campus that was very successful. So there's now a group that has effectively emerged. And we hope that, you know, that will set the tone for things moving forward. In other words, a group that is peaceful, that is looking to resolve the issues, that is saying to members of the community, come together, let us talk, let us try and resolve the issues, let us stop the burning, let us stop the violence and try to come together. And and so that prayer meeting, in a sense, and, and various other initiatives are also part of the current on-the-ground experience that we are having educated in. It sounds wonderful that there are some positive, proactive, optimistic strategies that are happening in the midst of what sounds like some quite worrying and terrifying even activities. I mean, the thought that people's lives could have been put in danger in um, those acts of arson, whoever was behind them, is, is really just too awful to contemplate. And I think colleagues at campuses around the country are desperately seeking alternative ways of opening up dialogue and opening up conversations. And I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about the alternative space that's been created and what role staff played in that, what role students played in that, if you can share any wisdom from that experience that other colleagues might be able to pick up and use on their own campuses to try and open up spaces for negotiation, dialogue, and solving problems in more constructive ways. Well, basically what we see happening is that staff who observe their students being targeted by private security or police are present on the scene and sort of are trying to act as a buffer between sort of private security trying to to attack students. None of us really are happy with the presence of private security, whether it's the academic body or, I mean, the staff body or, or students, because obviously we feel that they tend to sort of act on their own accord. I mean, they, they don't seem to be very accountable to, to anyone. So when, when you know, students might just be protesting peacefully, for example, and suddenly they might be targeted by private security, you know, that is a serious concern for us. So staff who are, you know, mindful of these things are trying to ensure that there is no further damage, that sort of injury to uh, any of our students, that becomes a possibility. And so in terms of the space that's been created on the Madsburg campus, it really just staff and students who are physically there. There is, of course, that group of students that is protesting, and most of them are protesting peacefully because they are quite determined with regard to the campaign of 
free higher education. So for them, it's a legitimate campaign. They want to actually struggle for it. They're not seeking to engage in any kind of violence as such. And then again, as I said, there's a small group of people who want to burn things down and so on. So again, it's about actually convincing that group of students that are so set on engaging in violence or acts of arson to try and convince them that actually we are all supportive of this national goal for free higher education, but that burning things down is not going to actually achieve it. So we have to actually work in phases. One is to try and create a situation on campus where private security you know, leaves so that we can continue normally as we walk down to our cars or just walk anywhere on campus. You know, they're, they're visible all the time. And so it is quite intimidating. I mean, they're there because the university wants to ensure, the, as it says, the protection of students and staff and, and property. But again, their presence is quite unnerving. We want to have a normal environment where we can go about doing what we want to do. The other thing that a group of us are trying to do is to create a conversation amongst us because the university community is not just students and academics. We have support staff, we have alumni that are connected to the university in various ways, we have links with civil society organizations and so on and so on. Uh, there was an initiative just a day or two ago by civil society organizations in Madsburg who have put out a statement saying that they support the struggle of the students for free higher education, that they're calling for a peaceful and a progressive, constructive way forward. What's interesting is that civil society bodies are also now getting involved, and they're saying they want to work with the university community uh, to support the students, but to not do it in a violent way. So, so these are all encouraging things that we're seeing. And I think that as this national Freedom for movement moves ahead, we're going to see certain initiatives on certain campuses that will play themselves out in particular ways. Some of these, you know, ways will be violent and unfortunate, and some of them will be attempting to be more constructive. And of course, now this effort to try and be more progressive and to, to come together. So there's a sense of community, you know, that we're all together in this, that we don't want the violence, that we want it to stop. But we also want to struggle for free high education. So that's where we're at, both, you know, on the ground and, and in terms of our link to the national movement. And how has management participated in or reacted to these initiatives? Because I was quite struck by your report that, you know, things are carrying on, classes are continuing, it's kind of business as usual. Yet we've seen such extreme incidents take place. And we're seeing other campuses around the country still shut down, perhaps by the time we publish this podcast that will have shifted. But there seems to be a resistance from management in some other universities to taking the route to negotiation, to opening up dialogue, and to making it into a kind of zero-sum game, right? And I'm just wondering how, from your perspective as an academic citizen in, in, in your community, how UKZN management handled the various crises and, and how they participated in these forms of dialogue and collaboration and community building that you're describing? Well, the university basically has student representation on all of its structures. 
So, you know, the council has a student representative, the other sort of uh, bodies that meet regularly have students who have a channel to the management to express themselves or if they have any grievances. We have, of course, director of students and so on. So, I mean, institutionally, the university is structured such that if students have issues, they have channels through which they can actually raise them. Now, in terms of the most current scenario, the council has been actually liaising with the student body on the demands that have been submitted by the UKZ and SRC. But the issues have not been resolved because management and council may not be willing to accede to some of the demands. And so the SRC feels that, well, it has put these demands on the table, but they're not being accepted or, you know, the management in particular is saying, well, we can't actually agree to X, Y, and Z. So that, that's that been part of the challenge where the student body has put forward a set of demands, management and council have said, no, well, we can't do this, but let's continue talking. So the management hasn't actually shut off any possibility for dialogue. But of course, by bringing private security onto campus, that has been seen as being, obviously for all universities, as being provocative to students. So, you know, students will get upset and angry because they might just be walking from their room uh, to the shop to buy bread or something, and they are then accosted by a private security person. So that will then inflame sentiment. So part of the problem is that the university takes, of course, a position of, well, we are the university authority, we have to maintain law and order, and so we will bring the private security onto campuses. However, it has also indicated that it is open to communication with the student body. Uh, I think it has to acknowledge that the student body is not just the SRC uh, or the elected officials on the SRC. The student body is very diverse. They are those, as I said, who want to engage in violence and they've claimed that the SRC doesn't represent them at all. They are those students who don't want to be part of any of this at all and just, you know, stay to themselves. And then there are those that are saying, well, let's engage with the issues, but let's do so in a non-violent way. So the management has to respond then to this diverse group of students. In terms of the academic voice, you know, we have tried to play multiple roles. We we can't actually say to the management that, you know, they uh, have to carry out certain things in the way that the students want uh, them to do. I mean, of course, you know, management has, you know, executive power to run the institution as they feel is appropriate. But the academics do have some degree of influence in terms of trying to negotiate through all of these different dynamics. And so what we've seen happening is the unions, the academic unions have been liaising with management uh, regarding what is actually happening on the ground. Uh, so we have four unions. Uh, representing academics and support staff at the university. And these unions have been liaising with the management and council on a number of issues around whether, for example, you know, we continue with the academic program or whether we, uh, you know, keep private security on the campuses and so on and so on. And so these are the kinds of dynamics that uh, are at play. The management has to then try and ensure that its first priority, I would imagine, although I don't speak for them, 
is to ensure that the academic program continues, that we can finish the lectures for the year, that the exams can go ahead. So that for them is their main priority, as would be the case for all management and councils at all universities. At the same time, they have to actually also be mindful of the realities on the ground, that they have a group of angry students that they have to manage, uh, and that they can't do something that is going to aggravate the situation where we end up with a death or, you know, something tragic. So so that's it's, it's kind of a balancing act that the management has been doing. There will be a UKZM council meeting happening around mid-October where a range of issues will be looked at around both the demands that have been made by the students at UKZM as well as, you know, the national issue around what happens with fees for next year. So that council meeting will deliberate on these matters and we will have some announcements made after that. Okay, so the community at UKZN is waiting to hear whether and how the academic year will be completed, much like um, many of us at other universities around the country as well. What are your thoughts and feelings on the ways in which the media pick up on coverage of events at universities like UKZN. There's been some criticism that the media kind of flock to Wits and UCT when something happens, yet uh, largely ignore the complaints and the statements that are made by students and staff at other institutions. What are your views on, on that allegation? Well, I think that the coverage of what's been happening at individual universities has been quite effective. In other words, I think that if something happens at one university, we hear about it very quickly. Uh, it might be the case that social media is there before the sort of mainstream media with the TV cameras and, and the newspaper reporters or what have you, but uh, the news gets out. So we knew, for example, what is happening at University of Limpopo in the last few days and the University of Rhodes. So, so these are the tools of the modern age where through social media, the news gets out very quickly. But in terms of reporting within the mainstream media, what we're seeing is that um, there is, I think, sustained the coverage of the student protest across all of the, the different campuses. UCT has taken a leading role in some of these issues, as has WITS. So the, the focus seems to, yes, be on both UCT and WITS for the moment. But I think when UK Zidane was concerned, what was shocking was the burnings and the pictures that went out. Uh, and that's what brought UK Zidane into the focus. And then slowly the other universities, like DUT, which was closed and then opened a few days ago, because students are now back, they become a site of uh, coverage. So the media will go wherever, for example, there's some action. But I think that they're covering the story with regard to what is happening at any given day. So if it's quiet at UKZN today, they probably won't cover it. But tomorrow there might be something that happens, and so they'll be here. And I think that's the nature of media. Uh, I do think that there might be, as you know, for any news editor, the considerations that drive whether you cover a story or not. And uh, editors make these calls and send their reporters where they feel they should go. I think, for example, ENCA News, I'm not picking on any media house, but I think they've been quite 
good in kind of all-round coverage, going to the different campuses and picking up what's happening at those specific universities. Great. So it's been really valuable to to get insight from you about the situation at UKZN. Wishing all colleagues and students there solidarity and all the best in in the days that lie ahead. Are, are there any last words that you have? Anything that you'd like to share that you haven't had a chance to talk about yet from from your perspective of where you're sitting and what you're seeing? Well, sure. I think for me um, as an academic, the issue that has actually sparked all of the recent protests and unrest at universities is the issue of accessible and free, and as they're calling it, quality higher education. And I think that that issue is something that we have to resolve collectively. We can't actually leave it up to the students to sort out on their own. This is why you have to have a more collective input. Parents have to get involved members of civil society, the government is supposed to be involved and, of course, it's, you know, taken a certain position as it has, but I think that it needs to be held accountable for what what it's saying because I think that the students do actually have a legitimate struggle. They should be able to access good higher education. Uh, And so it is something that we as a society collectively in South Africa need to find ways to actually resolve it because it's not going to go away just by placating the students and saying, okay, well, we'll, you know, make sure that you don't pay any fee increases next year. I think this is going to be a long-term issue on the political and socioeconomic agenda of the country. And so we need to find ways, like the people of South Africa came together to bring down apartheid, you know, almost like that, where this is a collective national issue. Because virtually every household in the country would have a child that is in school about to uh, enter university or is at university already. So this is an issue that affects households, families, everybody. It's not something that you can just simply ignore. And even people who may not have children who would be going to university, you know, they are uh, as much part of this issue. So my my call out to you, my sort of plea is to say to broader South African society, we need to come together collectively, and especially to the executives and management of universities, to be a bit more sensitive towards the plight of students to understand, despite the fact that they have to uh, ensure that the universities run and, and that the academic program continues, to be more sensitive towards how to manage it and to not take a very heavy-handed, top-down approach because people get hurt, you know, when you bring private security onto campus. So I think we need to move towards a more humane, a more collective approach to dealing with this and also to acknowledging the fact that the struggle for free quality higher education is a legitimate one uh, and we should certainly take it on uh, and not simply inject it as something that is not possible for our young people. It's been so important to hear the experiences of colleagues on other campuses around the country, and we hope to continue bringing you in-depth insights from other campuses. If you have any suggestions for guests or shows in this respect, please feel free to contact us on the details listed at the end of the episode.
there's different ways of going about it. So they might have been desperate, and and yes, we desperate times call for desperate measures. But when it comes to respecting other people's pri- property as well, other people need access to that knowledge you know so for them to just so blatantly take that away from other people and just completely blatantly disregard anybody else i think that was a very very stupid move so yeah i don't i don't condone the fact that it was just desperacy i think it was just stupidity on a level i agree because obviously like siobhan said desperate times i mean desperate measures but i I think there could have been better ways of going about it. And rather than like burning down an entire library, you could have like had like a bonfire in the middle of some plaza with like all the books that need to be, you know, burnt or whatever, which again is a bad reflection because they did that during like Nazi times and stuff as well. But I think, you know, there are ways of doing like a big protest or doing a big demonstration that doesn't involve like people could have been really hurt, you know, and that and also like interrupting people's education, a means of getting to knowledge and everything, I think was quite almost like selfish. And in a way, you need to think about everybody else when it comes to these sorts of situations. I mean, if I had an issue and I just, you know, went out and I did something so drastic that had such an effect on other people at the end of the day what I did was more for me and less about everybody else and this whole movement is to do with everybody and the whole of South Africa and all of South Africa's universities and what they did was very very selfish I feel The Academic Citizen is a podcast sponsored by ASAU, the Academic Staff Association of Wits University. ASAU is the union representing the interests of academic staff at Wits. For more information, visit www.asau.org.za. The Academic Citizen aims to be a platform for a diversity of views and opinions. We welcome your feedback, comments and suggestions for future guests and shows. Email us at theacademiccitizen at gmail.com or leave a comment at www.theacademiccitizen.org. Today's show was presented by Mahita Ikani. Research, scheduling, editing and production was done by Baluni Lembenyane. Thanks to Lubna Nadvi, Diseto, Siobhan and Emma for their time. Jürgen Mikkel created our jingles.